it's easy to be the martyr of the program. Oh, the program failed me. Oh, the cold calls fails me. Or the sales training failed me. So it's not my fault. At the end of the day, personal responsibility is the kicker. About 90% of the stuff that's out there works. The problem is implementation. At this point, we've talked about vision, core values, and finding your purpose. Now, let's talk about goals. What are goals? Uh, milestones, mile markers, on your way up the mountain, like flag posts. So just a reminder, this is a part of the vision domain. And vision is having that sense of purpose, clear goals, clarity around your priorities, and the ability to make really good decisions based on where you're trying to go. And your goals alongside your vision just point you in the direction that you're headed, keep you in line up the mountain. So if you look at Mount Everest, you start a base camp and every section of Mount Everest has a new camp. Your priorities are to get to the next camp. You put everything you do in line according to getting to the next camp. If you sidetrack yourself, you could die. Uh, that's intense. But it helps us guide our decisions and actions. It gives us clarity around what's most important and what we need to do to get to the top of the mountain. In this episode, we're going to discuss smarter goals. You've all probably heard of smart goals. We're also going to go over the role of accountability and support. And Chris's favorite. Yeah, buddy. How personal responsibility is so crucial in all of it. I just got tingles when you said personal responsibility. If Chris and I drank and played a drinking game for every time Chris said personal responsibility, we had to take a shot. We'd be hammered all the time. All the time. <laughs> it's pretty constant. This is Chris's favorite topic, so. Can't wait to get into it. Let's go. I'm Chris. And I'm Kylie. And this is Redefining Resilience. Where we explore what it means to build a resilient lifestyle. So you can thrive in any and every situation. I had a conversation with a guy the other day in the gym who was doing a workout that for some reason was given to him that didn't make any sense. And he, he didn't even understand why he was doing it. And my first question was not what the hell are you doing? Or I've never seen that movement. It was, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish with this? And his answer was, well, I don't know. I said, well, shit, you're on the right track then. Because if you don't know, anything's going to get you somewhere, you know. But if he defined his goal after we talked a little bit, he did, which was he wants to compete in a powerlifting meet. I said, well, awesome. This movement you're doing is completely useless because it's not beneficial towards your end goal. But until you align that out, anything's going to look great because it looks like progress because it's doing something. But until you get your vision in place, a clear sense of purpose and goals, uh, it's going to be really hard to align your actions with that. Well, and I would also say Chris and I have both very different fitness and nutrition goals. <laughs> so <Very. laughs> if... If somebody were to say, 
oh, this is a healthy meal. You should all be eating this meal. Well, a meal for Kylie and a meal for Chris are going to be very different recommendations because Chris is trying to gain weight. I could probably lose 5 to 10 pounds. So a healthy meal for Chris is one that has more calories and is very dense, yeah, right? Heavy. Yeah. He needs more food. I need a more uh, nutrient-dense, high-protein, maybe lower-calorie diet. And so somebody saying, here's a healthy meal, you should eat this, has no concept of what our goals are as individuals because we wouldn't have the same meal. It wouldn't look the same. I think that's the hardest part with the world that we live in right now is understanding that your vision is independent of other people's conversation. So if you go on TikTok, Instagram, any social media, you're going to see just wads of information of what to eat, what not to eat, how to lift, how not to lift, what car to buy, all this shit. And they're going to throw that down your throat, one, probably just to sell something, and two, to get you on their side to back up their products. The issue is all that noise confuses people on their personal vision. You just get lost in the white noise. I think that's why it is extremely vital for us to understand how to create a vision ourselves, how to promote that vision in our lifestyle, how to wrap ourselves around that vision so we make better decisions and we're not sucked in by the white noise around us. I uh, am guilty of being a book hoarder. (laughs) (laughs) I have so many books that I have not touched ever. Not at all. Uh, I also do that with Audible books, too. I'll download books, and it'll take me three years to actually read them, listen to them, rather. But (laughs) what I learned is I get all these great recommendations from people that have read books and loved them, and then I just blindly go and buy them or download them, and I don't factor in what that person might trying to be working on right now and whether or not that aligns with something I'm trying to work on. And so what I've started doing is just making a list of the books that people recommend to me and then doing my research to see, okay, does this align with something I'm trying to achieve right now? Because if it's a sales book and I'm not trying to hone in on my sales craft right now, then perhaps that book can wait. It's not necessarily the highest priority book for me to read right now. Now, if I were to pick up a book that said how to create an awesome podcast, that might be a little bit more aligned because here we are in this room. Creating an awesome podcast. Creating an awesome (laughs) podcast. If we say it, it will be. (laughs) Amen. I believe it. So one thing I like to do, and I've done this several times with myself and with clients, is to zoom out. Take a look at at the next five to ten years. Just close your eyes and imagine what you want to be doing in the next five to ten years. I didn't say what you could be doing because right now you're on a path, and that may not be the path that's going to get you to where you actually want to go in five to ten years. So when you close your eyes and you think about what the next 10 years is going to look like or 10 years out, think about what you want to be doing, how you want to be spending your time, what lights you up, you know, and there's no rules because we get to define what that looks like. 
right now we're working within this the constraints of what's going on today, but that doesn't mean that it has to be the same for the next 10 years. So I like to think five to 10 years out and then work my way backwards. So think about what kind of benchmarks along the way would tell you that you're on the right track. These are your mile markers if you were driving on the road to get to your destination. What do you need to have achieved that would tell you, yep, we are on track and we're headed in the right direction? And ultimately, those are our goals. I totally agree. The goals are just mile markers towards your vision. So I know with a training client, if I, when I build programs for them, I start out with their goals I put that at the top of the paper, and then I work my way backwards to where they are currently. Because if I can see the steps backwards, say some cat wants to bench 405, but he's benching 135 right now. All right, well, we're going to break that down. We're going to say, hey, listen, in six months, we want to be pressing this. In eight months, we want to be pressing this. In two years, we want to be pressing this. And then you can break down all the little things in between to either speed it up, slow it down, you know, prevent injury, give you time for injury. There's all these things that can happen that'll cloud your vision if you don't understand, one, your end goal, and two, where you are currently. So there's self-awareness and all these other things that come into play when you're creating your vision. But I think the biggest one is just honesty. Mm -hmm. Where am I right now? Is it where I want to be in 10 years? If so, awesome. But <clears throat> like everybody else, you, you want growth. You want change. You know, we, we want to develop ourselves as humans. So <clears throat> being honest with where you are and honest about what you actually want to accomplish, and like Kylie said, where do you actually want to be, will allow you to build that, that roadmap. And the roadmap changes. There's going to be detours, construction along the way. Things will change. Injuries will happen. Family issues. Things happen. So giving yourself grace, understanding that that's part of the process, but understand you're always moving in the direction towards your vision. You might hit mile marker one, then 1.1, then 1.02. <laughs> might be slow for a little while, but it's still moving forward. And probably most of you have heard of SMART goals. I was taught about smarter goals a while back from a business coach, and it really stuck with me because I think the ER at the end is arguably the most important part of smart goals, smarter goals, and we oftentimes leave them out. So I'll run through these very quickly. We won't spend a whole lot of time on this, but I'll refresh your memory in case this is something that you'd like to learn about or revisit. The S in smart is, or smarter is specific. So we want to get as specific as we possibly can. Don't make it so vague. If you're saying eat healthier, well, at that point, that's more of an intention than a goal. So we want to get so specific. Maybe that means um, eliminating processed foods. And that would be a very specific goal. M is measurable. We just we need to be able to measure it. Is it a yes or a no? Is it a numerical measurement? It has to be something that we can definitively say, yes, we accomplished this or no, we did not at the end of your period of time. A is attainable. These goals have to be realistic. So like Chris mentioned, if I'm benching 105 and trying to get to 405, it's not realistic that I'm going to meet that goal in a month. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you do, uh, you need to write a book. Yes. Because <laughs> so, I'm going to follow it. Yeah. So it has to be attainable. Otherwise, your brain simply will not buy into this goal actually happening and you will self-sabotage and you will likely not do anything to achieve that goal because you know in the back of your mind it's not realistic. The next one, the R, is relevant. And when I think of relevant, I also think of aligned because your goals have to be aligned to the to a reason or a season of life. Now, let's say you just had a new baby. Is it realistic that you're going to start a your CrossFit workout plan two days after you've had a baby? No, likely not because you, the doctor probably said you shouldn't. So... In that example, you've got to make sure that you're you're aligned with the time or the the appropriate season of life that this goal is intended for. And it's okay to say, you know what, I don't think I can juggle this goal at this time in my life because I've got aging parents and one of them is in the hospital and I just don't feel like I can commit to being at the gym, you know, six days a week. So... It's good to have that kind of self-awareness to know that you're not in alignment for that specific time. Uh, time is our fifth specification here, and you want your goals to be time-bound. So put a due date or a deadline or a time where you're going to reassess and put it on your calendar. Hold yourself accountable to that timeline. And then the E and the R that have been added to this fancy new Smarter Goals model, the E is exciting. And I learned that with my ADHD, if I don't find something exciting or interesting, I have zero ability to focus on it. And I can't imagine I'm the only one that operates this way because we all do a bunch of things like I see guys playing golf all the time. I have no interest in it, but these guys clearly have interest in playing golf all the time because they wake up at the butt crack of dawn to go out to this course, and then a lot of them will play in, like, blazing heat, and, you know, they seem to love it. Well, they love it because they're interested in it, and they think it's fun and exciting, right? They're not going to the PGA Tour, most of them. No offense, guys, but... <laughs> So, I think they know. I'm sorry to I'm sorry <laughs> to crush your vision. But it, it, there's excitement around it. So make sure your goals are actually exciting for you. Otherwise, you're kind of just grinding and grinding does not sound fun for anyone. And then the last one is risky. It has to be a little bit risky because if it's not risky, it's not rewarding. That one was one that was an aha moment for me because I typically have chosen all these very safe goals or ones that aren't really going to push me. But when it's risky, it feels a little bit more exciting. And I encourage you all to think of risky as being exciting instead of, well, I, I could potentially fail. We all could potentially fail at everything new that we try. But does that keep us from trying? Should it keep us from trying? I don't think so. How are you going to ever grow? if you're always making safe moves. So think about your smarter goals as being a little bit risky. Well, I think to, to elaborate on failure, in training programs and with anything in business that I've been uh, privy to, if I'm failing, it means I'm pressing the envelope. I am out on the end or the edge, and I'm figuring out how this works. 
I was actually, I know this kind of blows people's noggin, a banker for a while. It was pretty much just business development and sales, but I was in banking and I knew absolutely nothing about it. And it was beautiful because I tested the limits all the time. I would say, well, why can't we do this? Why can't we do that? Why can't we go do this for these people or be a part of this organization? Because it was, it was interesting. You know, I got people excited. And to press the envelope means you're toying around with failure. So to use an example in the gym, if I'm constantly hitting every one of my lifts and I don't fail, I am not even close to as hard as I can lift. And we avoid failure like it's some kind of disastrous area that's just going to ruin you forever. Failure is so beneficial because it shows you exactly where you are. That way you can go back and you can say, hey, listen, I can do X, Y, Z. Here's my stopping point. And then you have a real measurable data point for success later on. Because you can see, I couldn't have even touched that or done that or you know, my business development program wasn't even close to this. And now look, I'm flying past it. But if you're playing the safe, non-risky games all the time, you're not pressing the envelope. It's kind of hard to measure your success because you haven't reached the end. You don't know what is not attainable yet. Another point to remember when you're thinking about your vision and your goals Conflicting goals work against each other and they drain your energy. So if let's say you've got a goal of spending more time with your family and let's say you also get presented with a promotion at work, it may feel conflicting to say yes to the promotion because in the back of your mind, maybe it sounds like it would it would conflict with your goal to spend more time with your family because it would mean you'd have to be at the office more, you'd have to be on call 24-7, or you'd get pulled into meetings and travel more, right? So in that case, you've got to make sure your goals are working in alignment with each other and not conflicting. And your goals don't need to be perfect, Start with a goal, work towards it, and refine it along the way. I can't tell you how many times I've set a goal and realized, like, one, I don't care about this goal as much as I thought I did, or uh, maybe the way in which I thought I was going to achieve the goal isn't working, and so I've got to make adjustments and refine the goal, or maybe the timeline needs to change, or maybe it's not realistic, or maybe I hit the goal too quickly and now I need a more aggressive goal. So you're going to learn things along the way and it's perfectly fine to refine them. They are dynamic, not static. And you'll get better at it, right? Like when I first started lifting, man, my goals were bonkers. Like I, I thought my first strongman, I was going to go in and dominate, win everything. I got last place. Well, second to last place because the guy behind me didn't even show up. So technically, I got last place because I did not understand and didn't want to be realistic with myself and didn't really know how to be realistic with that scenario. So the older I get and the more I get into competitions and the more I understand competing and my boundaries and my abilities, I can set goals that make more sense and that are easily conceptualized because I understand that where my thresholds are, because I have failed so many times. 
So I understand thresholds, therefore I can create goals that press those thresholds. They don't put me out so far in left field that I'll never achieve it, then I'm heavily demoralized because it's so ridiculous of a goal or such a heavy goal. It's just easier. The longer you're in it, the more you refine it, the more like everything, the more time you spend on it, the better you are at it. And goal setting is a talent. You will be better at it the longer you do it. And I think that's one thing to at least bring attention to because how often do we set goals but forget all about them because we're not succeeding in the first attempt or maybe even the second attempt. And so we give up on our goals. You have to be in this for the long run. And a lot of times when that happens, we haven't set forth the future vision, the long-term vision, because we have to know why these short-term goals are so important to the long-term. But if the long-term isn't there, it just feels inconsequential to work after these goals that, you know, maybe aren't really working for you. You're not seeing as much progress as you'd like. And so it's easier to throw in the towel because they don't mean as much. They don't carry as much weight. Well, and the reality behind it, our human system is built to achieve. And there's no such thing as reaching the point of, of contentment. I want to try something. I need to be pressed. The human system is built to achieve and be pushed. So the fallacy that you're going to somehow arrive one day where you're just it, you've, you've reached the pinnacle, is just not true. So the process of development needs to be the pinnacle. Once you're progressing, that's it, man. That's, that's life. And it's beautiful because it's constant progression. It's refining yourself every day. And the other thing to keep in mind is if you don't see results immediately, that doesn't mean your goal sucks or you need to give up or you need to change your course. It's a data point for you to think through. And our brains are hardwired in such a way that if we don't get dopamine, dopamine is the neurochemical that tells us we're doing a good job. It's in charge of our reward system. So if we're not getting told by our brain that whatever actions we're taking are working, our brain will tell us, hey, this is not efficient. And it could be right. It might mean that the way you're doing it is maybe not the best way. And we need to look at leveling up some skills or figuring out a more efficient process or pivoting in some kind of way. But the other thing I see a lot of is we want to quit without much of a data set that backs that decision up. And I know I've got countless examples of this, and Chris, you probably do too, but I've had clients who want to start new habits. You know, they'll start meditation or they'll start journaling and they'll come back to me and they'll say, well, I tried to meditate or I tried to journal, but it really didn't work. I'll say, well, what didn't work? Well, I'm just not noticing a difference. How many times did you try it? <laughs> well... I meditated twice and I couldn't get my brain to shut off or I journaled a couple times last week and really didn't notice much of a difference. Okay, so we have a sample set of two and we're trying to make decisions or draw conclusions on the effectiveness of said habit. Probably not a big enough data set. So keep at it. 
and try something for at least 30 days. I've noticed that anything I can commit to for at least a month has proven to be a successful implementation of a habit. There are signs that'll tell you it's 45 days or 62 days or who knows. Try something for 30 days. I feel like it's not hard to commit to something for 30 days. And if you commit to something for 30 days, you should at least be able to have some data in that sample set that tells you whether or not this was a good return on your investment of time and energy. Another example of this that I see a lot uh, when I coach sales teams, they will say cold calling doesn't work. Chris laughs because Chris was in sales for a long time and oh, yeah. has made a cold call or two in his life. Oh, yeah. Lots of cold calls. Yeah. And it, they work. I have statistics that prove that cold calling works. But if you're looking for a reason that they don't work, you will find it. It is confirmation bias. Our brain goes out to find evidence to validate what we believe. So if you believe something is not going to work, you are right. If you believe something is going to work and is going to change your life or make a difference, then it will because you're going to be committed to trying until you have enough data that tells you enough information that you can make decisions on. And it's easy to be quick draw McGraw when it comes to shutting shit off because it's easy to be the martyr of the program, right? Oh, the program failed me. All oh, the cold calls fails me. Or the sales training failed me. So it's not my fault. At the end of the day, it's personal responsibility. And I'm going to use this all the time. But personal responsibility is the kicker. If I write you a program, not even that, if about 90% of the stuff that's out there works. And I'll stand that to that or with that and die on that hill. About 90% of that shit works. The problem is implementation. I know a guy that lost 35 pounds eating fucking hot dogs every day because he stayed consistent eating hot dogs for like six months. I don't understand how he lived, but he Ooh. lost a lot of weight. So it isn't an issue of I don't have the data, I don't have the program, I don't have the resources. What we've done with this society is we've said, hey, listen, I have all the information, but I don't want to be resourceful enough to do it. And once I decide that it's my decision and my responsibility, then I'm responsible for all of it. And that's scary. But the great part about that is if you want to grow as a human, you want to grow physically, mentally, emotionally, you want a better relationship with your dog, with your kids, with your spouse, with anybody, with your boss – Take personal responsibility for everything that shows up. Everything. If something comes down the pipeline and it's totally screwed up, all right, how can I do my best to make sure this is taken care of? Same thing with training in the gym. I'm going to take this program and I'm going to implement it to the best of my ability. And I guarantee you, you'll see results. I'm not a huge fan of CrossFit. But I am a firm believer that you can go into any CrossFit gym, follow it to a T, give 100%, and you will see results. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's just the way it works. So they say in the fitness world, it takes about 10 years of training. I believe it might even be closer to 15 
of consistent training to understand your body enough to either write programming or say what works and what doesn't. Because a program takes about six to 10 weeks to run, sometimes 16 weeks. So if you do the math on that, if there's 100 programs times 16, 10 to 16 weeks, that's a lot of fucking weeks to run all those programs to find out what works and what doesn't. So you have to have the time in. Just like Kylie said, you have to have the data points. People cannot do something for two weeks and have enough data to make any decision. I crack up all the time. Guys stop, stop me constantly at the gym. Well, I tried that. That doesn't work. Well, how long have you been trying that, bud? Because I've been doing this for a long time, like 20 plus years. And I still feel like a junior in the game because I'm constantly learning. And I'm adding in a bunch of different stuff to my current workouts before I compete here coming up that I don't have enough data to say that it doesn't work, so I'm going to stick with it. So you're telling me that if I go to a bar and make poor choices, I can't say that I was overserved. I have to take personal responsibility. That's a shocker. I know, right? <laughs> that, for some reason, was what popped into my head when you talked about it, because it's my favorite former bartender here. And when people would say, yeah, I was overserved, I'm like, yeah, you had no part in that, did you? It's really easy to fall into that trap of it's somebody else's fault they did this to me. But like, if you're real honest with yourself and look in the mirror, nobody's forcing you to do anything. You're choosing to do it because of social stigmas or some kind of catalyst that makes you feel like you have to do it or you should. I know when I stopped drinking, I would go out with my buddies and I'm like, oh, I don't know, maybe. But then it's like I would kick back from that real hard because – that was nothing inside of me value-wise that wanted that. It was literally all the situation I was in, the people I was around, and those things driving that decision. But it was something I didn't want in my life. But I still had a pull to it. So I had to remove a lot of that stuff. Well, and I think that brings up a good point that we want to remember when you're setting goals, goals are best accomplished with a supportive circle around you of people that are going to encourage you and get on board with your goals. I remember very distinctly when I gave up alcohol. Alcohol was a goal of mine to eliminate from my diet about two years ago. And I had a friend say, well, you know, the second you drink again, everybody is going to be all over your ass about it. I was like, wow, that didn't feel very supportive at all, <laughs> nor yeah. was it encouraging. So it's really important to have people around you that are going to be great advocates and support your goal. I have another friend, Leah, who anytime we go out together, she is always super supportive. And like she'll ask the bartender if there's any mocktails or what kind of non-alcoholic options are available. And even though, you know, she'll partake in an alcoholic beverage, she's still supportive of my decision not to. So it's really important to have people in your life that are going to push you and motivate you and are going to be aligned with your goals and not be in conflict with your goals. And also when it comes to how you accomplish your goals, best done with a layer of accountability. 
So that can look like a lot of different things. But for me, Chris is my accountability partner for getting my ass to the gym. I may not want to, but at the end of the day, he's going to be like, Kyle, you haven't gone this week at all yet. Ugh, fine. <laughs> right? And It's the nicest accountability partner ever. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm the worst. Not at all. You <laughs> he, make sure I eat. That's true. I do I do hold him accountable to eating his 4,500 calories a day. Yeah, or at least, at least getting close to it. Yeah. But you have to have a layer of accountability in there. Because anybody, subconsciously, if they know someone's going to be checking in on them, they do not want to fail in front of somebody else. It is so much easier to fail yourself and quietly fail on your own and not have to tell anybody about it. But if we don't do the things that we said we were going to do in the last episode, if I don't write a book because I told people I was going to write a book someday, if we don't do the things that we've told people we're going to do, I want to be held accountable. We have to embrace accountability. We've got to embrace a structure for accountability. So that means maybe you schedule a meeting with a mentor once a month to go over your goals and talk through what's working, what's not working, get advice on whether or not you should pivot or make changes to your plan. It is so important to have a supportive circle and accountability in place as you execute your vision. So there's a couple different I'm assuming two different types of people, people that are very intrinsically motivated. I am one of those. I don't need somebody to wake me up in the morning and say, go to the gym. I don't need somebody to say, push yourself, find the edge. I, I love that shit. I love living that life, right? But I still have an accountability partner that I text my lifts to. I text him about three, four months ago. I was getting ready for nationals, and I was really demoralized. My deadlift was just going nowhere. I felt like I was just getting smoked all the time. And I texted him, and I said, man, I think I'm going to change it up. This is what I want to do. Send him this long text message, and he wrote back, that sounds awesome. Don't fuck with your programming. You're three months at, or a month out of nationals. Stay consistent. You always tell me to stay consistent. You stay consistent. And what did I do? I scrubbed this huge change that probably would have thrown my body for a loop, and stayed consistent. And I did great. I did exactly what I wanted to accomplish. He was only able to deadlift 700 pounds. For a single, I was pretty lame. I, mean, <laughs> I needed it for at least 10. And he bent the bar, so. Oh, no. Cheap bars. <laughs> it's a cheap party. So. <laughs> Another thing to do is write down your goals. Keep them visible. Keep them in front of you. If you've got a desk, stick them up on the desk and revisit or reflect on them on a regular basis. As adult learners, it takes repeatable steps for us to change or to enact new behavior. So reinforcement is key. And another thing to remember is don't ride the roller coaster. When I say that, there's going to be lots of ups and downs. Don't get discouraged when you're in the downs. Don't get super hype when you're in the highs because at the end of the day, this never stops. If you are a driven individual, you will be setting goals for the rest of your life. I don't care if you're in retirement. You probably still have goals. It might be to take five naps a day. That's great. I'm 
hoping that's my goal one day. It's <laughs> pretty much sleeping all day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, catnaps. Uh. <laughs> But don't ride the roller coaster. Don't get super high. Don't get super low. Maintain a sense of what's called equanimity. It's staying close to a baseline because then you're not wasting all of this emotional energy on the high highs and the low lows. It's much more manageable along the way when it's not such a wild ride. And I know that doesn't sound as exciting, but we the world works in balance and what goes up must come down. So you don't want to go so far up that when it goes down, it goes so down. So maintain a, a close Level of excitement to your baseline if you want things to be sustainable and consistent over the long haul. And I'd like to end this with a challenge. Dun, dun, dun. If your goals are attained super easy and you can just say, write them down and achieve them in two weeks, you're not pressing yourself, man. Find something that presses your envelope. Find something that forces you to fail that forces you to reach an edge and become exhausted, become mentally, physically, emotionally exhausted. Something that tests you and says, hey, listen, what am I worth? What am I, what do I have inside of me and how bad do I want this? Because a human system wants to be pressed. We are our happiest when we're achieving, when we're pressing ourselves, when we're moving, when we're changing and we're developing and we're taking control of our lives. Nobody that I have talked to in the entire time I've been in this industry likes to be this vacant human not achieving anything. They feel very lost, almost in a void. A lot of training clients that I pick up are in that void. And when you give them purpose and you give them something that pushes themselves, they end up igniting this fire inside of them that they can go places they've never thought of. So the challenge is find something that, that presses your envelope, that you find a new edge, and it's, it's risky and exciting, but find the risky and exciting. Thanks for listening to Redefining Resilience. To learn more about building your mental and physical readiness, check out odysseyresilience.org. And follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok. Russell, can you hear me? Oh, God, I hope this gets cut.